come to the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, the last request, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. I'm going to ask that we turn to Lord's Day 52 in the Heidelberg Catechism, page 896, 896 in the back of your songbooks, 896, question and answer 127. It's really a a marvelous prayer for us to be bringing before the Lord daily in one form or another. And be, be arguing in the sermon as well that it shouldn't be from evil but from the evil one from the Greek text in Matthew 6. What does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one means we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment and our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 10 where this need for spiritual protection is taught clearly, 1 Corinthians 10, lessons from the old covenant people for the new covenant people. 1 Corinthians 10, page 1137. Brothers and sisters, it's very important that we take these warnings seriously and that we listen to this with trembling. The apostle writes, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual rock for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, that will be our focus this afternoon. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is God's word. May he instruct us and use this 
to drive us to pray. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, I wonder if we really believe in the power of prayer. Not that prayer has power in a sense, that's an incorrect statement. But that God uses prayer, he hears prayer, like Bartimaeus' prayer, son of David, have mercy on me, to give us the gifts that we really need. Do we really pray in faith, trusting that the one on the other end of our prayer is merciful, and he's even more eager to hear and answer our prayers than we are to pray? So, so much has he invested in our well-being that he gave his only son. And in Jesus has provided all the gifts and treasures and helps that we need to be saved and to stay saved and fight every temptation that would unsave us to the end. We're taught here in this last petition Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one to cast the burden of our own weakness on the Lord. And you might say, isn't this a defeatist prayer? Don't we claim victory as Christians? And no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. What is this business? Don't lead us into temptation. And and don't we claim victory with Paul? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What are we doing praying such a defeatist prayer? Well, victory comes through our admitting and confessing and praying about our own incredible weakness and our need for help in the midst of temptation. That's how we come to victory. A spiritually healthy Christian knows his or her own weakness and the weakness of his fellow Christians and prays for himself and his brothers and sisters. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We want to see three things, the burden of our weakness, the gift of strength, and the promise of victory. The burden of weakness is the burden we must cast on our heavenly father who said, cast all your cares on me because I care for you. In the apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, is adamant, beloved, though we have more resources than the people of the old covenant, we have now the whole Bible, 66 books, not just 39 And we have the full spirit poured out on us. Though we have more resources, we're still the same people. We're still weak and prone to fail, prone to fall. It's like the believers of the old covenant. That's what's so scary about 1 Corinthians 10 and Paul saying that's for us because we have the same stuff in us. In spite of all the spiritual gifts they had, and he lists five, they had the cloud of God's presence. They had the miracle of the Red Sea. They had the leadership of Moses. They had bread from heaven. They had water from the rock who was Christ with them in the wilderness. In spite of all the spiritual gifts they had, God was not pleased with most most of them and destroyed them because they did not accept these gifts in faith. Paul says that history was written for us on whom the end of the ages has come. We live in the era of the fulfillment, the end of the ages has come on us. And then again, he lists five things. 
It's been written for us so that, number one, we might not desire evil as some of them did. Number two, that we might not be idolaters as some of them were. Number three, that we might not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. Number four, that we might not put Christ to the test as some of them did. Number five, that we might not grumble as some of them did. All these temptations are in front of us. Because face it, life from here to the promised land of heaven is a minefield of temptation It's a wilderness of trouble. There's all kinds of stuff to make us mad. All kinds of stuff to make us sad and disappointed. To make us fight. To make us quit. And to make us lead us into bad choices. It's all there. And then he gives in verse 12 the main application. Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Hence our theme, if you think you stand, watch out. This is the posture of recognized, felt, and confessed weakness Jesus wants his disciples to have as we serve Christ's glorious kingdom here in this world. The posture of recognized, felt, and confessed weakness. Does he want us to think like losers? No. But he wants us to recognize the reality of our weakness so that we turn to Christ for victory and think like winners, pray like winners. For this world is filled with an outside devil who has a lot of temptations in his toolbox, an outside devil and an inside weakness that is enticed by the things in his toolbox. And he's got your number. He's not all-knowing and he's not everywhere present. He's just a created spirit But he's got his agents, he's been looking, he's been watching. He knows your weak spots. He knows how to get you. He knows how to go after you. For some it's intellectual stuff. The Bart Ehrman stuff. Where I confuse you with what appears to be contradictions. And I scare you into thinking maybe it's not all true. Maybe it's a lie. There's that intellectual temptation of many to want to look smart, to want to have a name in the academy, and so we're willing to throw away all kinds of truth in order to get the approval of our, of our fellow academics. For others, Paul speaks of both, the lusts of the mind and the lusts of the flesh in Ephesians 2. The others, it's lusts of the body, sensual appetites of a variety of kinds. But there are all these temptations. An outside devil, an inside weakness, and the world is the interface. The things, the stuff in his toolbox are in the world that he uses to get us. And so when Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, don't lead us not into temptation. He's not teaching us that the Father actually does tempt us. He never would. James says in James 1, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. He's sovereign. He's doing this to me. No. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. I believe this is a figure of speech called litotes. If you're an English expert, you might know that word. But do not lead us into temptation where the Lord Jesus states 
by way of contrast, he states the opposite of what we're really asking. Like when Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise turn away. By stating the opposite, I won't turn you away. He means the affirmative, I will surely receive you. So when we're praying, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We're saying, Lord, no, don't, don't take us there, but take us there. Help us to hold fast, stand vigilant against temptation. Deliver us. Don't let me give into it. Preserve me from it. Deliver me. Because I'm too weak on my own. I can't handle it. That's what I'm saying. Jesus is teaching us not to think of ourselves as strong in ourselves, but to run to the Lord for his strength. We're only one temptation away today from falling away forever. That's how weak we are. Of course, the Lord is not going to let that happen to his people, but it's through prayer that he preserves us. Remember how Peter boasted triumphantly, oh, all fall away, Lord. <laughs> not me. Oh, no, not Peter. Not tough old Peter. Oh, no, I never will. And he went to fall greatly in a triple denial of Christ that history will never forget. It's like a monument to us. Don't think that way about yourself. And so the catechism says it so well. We're so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. We can be very sure of our own strength and believe like Peter will never fall. Or we can piously say, oh yes, I can fall, but not actually believe that about ourselves. Look at others who fall and say, I could not imagine ever myself ever doing that. How could they? Or we can plead and pray and say, Lord, that could be me that lives in me. And I don't know about you, but I try to make that a discipline in my life when somebody falls, like when a pastor falls and it's in the news, on the news feed that I receive, that I learn to say right up front, oh, it could be me. That could be me. There's a frightening story. It's a true story that happened in 1961 at the Nuremberg trials when Adolf Eichmann was on trial for war crimes. He, he masterminded the concentration camp butchery, the final solution of the gas chambers. Evil, evil man of World War II that led to the slaughter of millions of Jews and others. And when Auschwitz survivor... Yahail Denur, the principal witness at the Nuremberg trials, was brought into the courtroom to stand before Eichmann face to face. He stopped cold. He started to sob uncontrollably, and he fainted right there at the stand. And he was interviewed later. Why? Were you overcome by anger, feelings of vengeance, horror, fear? What was it? No, Dinner said later in an interview, none of the above. He said, when I saw Eichmann standing there, such an ordinary man, 
I thought that could be myself. I was suddenly afraid about myself. I saw that I'm capable of doing exactly what he did. I was afraid about myself. Let us be afraid of ourselves. We can get an attitude, brothers and sisters, as reformed Christians. I'm reformed. Okay. Nice. Yeah, but I'm reformed. All right. What does that mean? I mean, it's beautiful. I believe that understands the scripture better than any other tradition, Christian tradition. But all it means is that I accept the doctrine that I'm weak and I need a strong savior, a sovereign God. Not only to save me, but to keep me saved. That's what that means. Let's be afraid of ourselves, soberly realistic about ourselves, that the nicest person here in this room today is capable of horrible crimes. Even the holiest person here is able to fall very far. We need to pray for protection against temptation. The temptation to pride, bitterness, laziness, lust. Temptation to being harsh, silly, fearful, cowardly. Temptation to denying Christ, the temptation to building concentration camps, temptation to murder or to participate in the murder of millions, the temptation to false doctrine, the temptation to money love, the temptation to self-righteousness, the temptation to say with the crowds when there's a Bartimaeus, get away, ignoring the needs of a hurting brother or sister because we're so self-absorbed and so busy with me and the list goes on and on and on and on. And the point is, we need to pray for ourselves every morning. We're good at praying for safety, I think. But above all, we need to pray every morning for safety from the devil and his wiles, from the world and its tastiness, its deliciousness, and from our own enticeability. And then, for our family, our friends, our church family, et cetera, lead us not. We're, we're all in trouble from our own weakness. The burden of weakness, cast it on the Lord. See it, ask for help to see it. Where especially, Lord, am I weak? Show that to me. So and close up that hole with prayer. To the gift of strength. Brothers and sisters, this is not a loser's prayer. It's a prayer for victory. It's a cry of weakness, but not a cry of despair. Because there is somebody who can rescue me from loving Hitler. And the reason I put it that way is because he was such an appealing political candidate, candidate in Germany in hard times. And many Lutheran Christians went after him. I would have too, I think. I like guys like that. At least when they start out. There's only one who can rescue me from loving Hitler and from building concentration camps. And there's only one who can protect me from committing adultery with my neighbor's wife or anyone else. 
There's only one who can strengthen me against spiritual laziness, prayerlessness, general apathy where I have no energy or zeal for Christ's church and kingdom. I'd rather just sit like a couch potato when I'm on my off time and dote over me. There's only one person who can protect me from denying Christ, from being harsh, from bullying my spouse or students at school, from the fear of man, from the love of drugs. And that's the triune God. That gift of strength comes from my, from my heavenly Father. And he gives it to me through Christ his Son. Christ who in his temptations fought and won for me and on the cross nailed my guiltiness to the cross but also conquered the evil one. And in his resurrection raised up for me the power of new life and in his ascension opened a door to heaven so I can go there and call on God. He gives it to me through Christ his son and fills me, Jesus fills me with his spirit so I can fight temptation like Jesus did when the tempter came to him. Christ learned obedience through what he suffered. So if you look at verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 10, there's the gift of strength. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it three things here whatever you face many others have faced it too no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man you might say oh nobody has faced exactly what I'm facing I'm unique. No other Christian has had to go through this. Therefore, I must have an excuse to give in. No, no, no. He says, many have been there where you are. In fact, Jesus also faced it. He was tempted in every way we are except for sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15. So number one, whatever you face, many others have faced it too. Number two, it says God is faithful. That means he's going to carry you through. He'll not let it overwhelm you. It's too heavy for you, but he'll not let it overwhelm you. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to let go of you. You can trust him to make you stand. And that's why we need to run to him. That's why we need to pray. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's going to hear you. He's going to help you. And number three, here's the help. When you look to him, he'll provide a way of escape. That doesn't mean necessarily he'll remove you from the temptation, but he's going to empower you, it says, to endure it. So he's going to supply you with uncommon strength in common temptations to lead you to victory. When you, the weak believer, rest in his grace, that's what it's saying. You're not a loser in a God who's faithful and brings you to victory. That's what Paul testified when he faced that thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, who, who he calls a messenger from Satan. And he asked for deliverance from these demonic attacks. 
And you know what deliverance the Lord gave him? Listen, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm not taking the temptation away. But I'm going with you in my grace and I'm taking you through it. So you can endure it, you're gonna win. So Paul says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That is when I recognize I'm weak, I fly to the Lord for help. He'll make me stand. Again, answer 127. This is such a good thing to lay before the Lord constantly. We're so weak, we can't stand for, on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit. So that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. It's not saying let go and let God. God, I'm going to sit back in a chair and just lift me up out of this. Put me in another spot. No, no. Make us strong by the power of your spirit so we won't be defeated, but we will resist. I'm in the fight, Lord. I need help for the fight. So that's the source of true Christian assurance. It would seem from our own weakness that nobody could ever have any assurance of salvation since anyone can fall away at any time. That's the way it looks here, right? But you know, because God is faithful, we can have full assurance that we, when we rush to his promises of support, that though we can't hold our own even for a moment, he will surely hold on to those who flee to him for refuge. He'll never let go of those who flee to him for refuge, who come to him for strength. Guaranteed, that's your assurance. It's my assurance. The hymn says it well, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Now, there's a false kind of assurance that assumes, hey, don't worry. I'm a believer. I'll be strong enough to handle anything. That's a false confidence that can be sure of nothing at all. And then the Apostle Paul says, if you think you stand, watch out. So beloved, look to Jesus for everything you need in the hour of trial because on the cross, he conquered all your sin, the guilt of it, the power of it, and his resurrection gave you the power of new life and again opened a door to heaven for you when he ascended so you can soar there on eagle's wings and pray. In your Savior, you have everything you need to fight and win, to resist and come to complete victory. History tells the story of two Protestant men condemned to die under Queen Mary in England. Perhaps you've heard this story. The two men shared a cell in prison. The one man was boastful of his spiritual strength to stand firm to the end. I'm grounded in the word, he said. I'm solid in my faith, and I can't wait for my execution to take place. As a bride can't wait for her bridegroom to come, I can't wait to enter the fire and go to heaven. The other man was a trembling mess. He too loved the Lord, but he was so scared that when he saw those flames, his faith would 
disintegrate. And like Peter, he would deny his savior. He begged his cellmate, please, please pray for me to be strong so I don't deny my Lord. And his boastful cellmate rebuked him for his fears. Where's your faith? If you have enough faith, you won't deny him. And then came the day for execution. And the boastful man, when he saw the flames, immediately recanted his beliefs and spent the rest of his days as an apostate, an unbeliever. While the trembling man, when he saw the flames, was given a miraculous boldness to go confidently into the flames and confess Jesus Christ loudly as the fire consumed his body. The weaker made strong when they rest in the Lord. So Charles Spurgeon says, are we nearly engulfed by the flames of persecution or the boisterous waters of affliction? Let's then lift our souls to our Savior and we may rest assured he will not allow us to perish. When we can do nothing, Jesus can do everything. Let us enlist his powerful aid on our side and all will be well. So we cast our burden of weakness upon the Lord who gives us the promise of victory. And that's what we see thirdly, the promise of victory. Heavenly Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the best way to translate this is not and deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one, which many, maybe even most translations do from the evil one. Because in the Greek, evil has a definite article in front of it. Deliver us from the evil, which in grammar is a substantive for the grammar experts, meaning deliver us from the evil or the one who is evil. We're not warring against something abstract and impersonal called evil, but against a being, a creature who hates our souls. The one waging war against our souls is the evil one, a real personal invisible spirit Spirit being named the devil, the tempter, the slanderer, the accuser, the liar, and the murderer. And just before the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, we read in Matthew 4 that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and the tempter came to him, and apparently that fight was so ferocious for Jesus that he remembers that acutely in this prayer. And wants his disciples to pray, Father, don't lead us there, but if we are to be led there, deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus is actually more concerned about the activity of the devil than many of us are as Christians. We don't give the devil much thought. We tend to think of the devil as an outdated medieval belief, a goat-footed, horn-headed, horned-headed monster with a pitchfork and fire coming of his mouth, something children believe in, but we adults are past that. But Jesus says you always need to have spiritual eyes at the back of your head because it's not just the little boys and girls for whom there's a wicked spirit watching around them, trying to tempt them to all harm and ill. It's not just little boys, it's true for, and girls, but true of grown-up Christian believers as well. The devil who masterminds every temptation we face sending his agents, other demons, but also people and things in the world to pull us away from the Lord and drag us into the love of this world and into the arms of false teachers. As we said earlier, one way or another, he's got our number. He knows where to press, push, 
pull, attract, thoughts to wave in front of you. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air who works in the sons of disobedience. Peter calls him the roaring lion who seeks to devour even believers and therefore we have to be alert and vigilant against him, watchful in prayer. He's real and we need to be aware and wary and in prayer, in prayer for deliverance. But brothers and sisters, that prayer for deliverance is a promise of one. And that's the victory Jesus calls us to pray for. Because you know what? One day Christians will live in a world where there's no devil left. The final victory, when the devil and his angels will be cast into the lake of burning sulfur and the saints will be with Christ in the new Jerusalem and the Bible says there'll be nothing to harm or destroy in all my holy mountain on that day. In the new Jerusalem, that great garden city, There'll be no devil there. There'll be no temptation there. We'll be truly free of all that. Temptation and the evil one will be completely out of the way. And what a day that will be. And that's what we're praying for. But even until then, we have to face the demons, the temptations of the world. We have to fight. But there's a way through, there's a way of escape. Our faithful God will uphold us and make us strong so we don't go down to defeat, but we'll firmly resist until we reach that world where there is no devil left and no temptation left. So let's call on his name in prayer because he makes the weak strong. And we can say with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things go through all things I have to face, every affliction and temptation, I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Father, thank you for the promise of victory. Thank you for access to your grace to help us stand firm in this spiritual battle. Help us to be afraid of ourselves. What we could possibly think, feel, say, and do, it's not good. Help us to be afraid of ourselves, but confident in Christ, resting in the faithfulness of our God, who will never let us go. Help us to trust in you, Every hour, because every hour we need you. Help us to pray for one another, because we're not alone in this battle. Everyone sitting next to us is in the same spot, the same temptations, and the same enticeability. Help us to support one another, pray for one another, help and bless and encourage one another. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.